Hey everyone, if you would like to support what I'm doing with Controversies in Church History and help me to expand its reach, please click on my anchor page and click the support button to donate. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Derek Taylor from Controversies in Church History. In this short video, I'm going to be responding to something that's been in the news lately. I had a viewer uh, email me and ask me to if I couldn't do a little bit of a response to this. And uh, what's been in the news lately, if you pay attention to it, is the Canadian residential school system. If you don't know what that is, in Canada they had a boarding school system they set up in the 19th and 20th centuries for the indigenous peoples of Canada. And this is basically was for the purpose of assimilating these indigenous peoples to Canadian European civilization. It's basically the same thing as what we had in the States with the mission school systems which were set up by the federal government in conjunction with the churches to to make them European, basically. And so there's been some kind of depressing news coming out of Canada lately, which involves the Catholic Church. And so in this little video, brief video, I'm going to go over the basic facts of this, separate some things that may be confusing people's minds, talk about the background historically a little bit, and talk about maybe how Catholics should respond to this, how we should think about that, at least some suggestions. You guys can think for yourselves, obviously, but uh, just give you a little background, quick background on this uh, controversial and somewhat lugubrious topic in the history of the church. So let's get started. The Canadian residential school system has been in the news because in the past several weeks, several hundred buried children uh, have been recovered on the sites of these former schools. And as I said before, these schools have been set up to assimilate Native Americans, Native uh, Indigenous peoples of Canada into Canadian life, uh, European civilization. And the Canadian government had engaged the churches, the Catholic Church and Protestant churches as well, to run these schools. And in fact, close to, two th two, close to a thousand have actually been discovered in the past couple of weeks. So this is why it's gaining notoriety, uh, uh, infamy, I guess, in the last couple of weeks. So a few facts about the residential school system. I mentioned before that the indigenous peoples of, of Canada, they had been educated. I should mention the Catholic Church had made, had set up mission schools as early as the 17th century when the French first got to Canada, started settling it. But from the late 1860s, after Canada gained its independence more or less uh, from Britain. The Canadian government set up a system of schools uh, funded by the government, administered by the church. It's about 60% of them administered by the Catholic church, the rest by the other churches. To assimilate these Indian families. And in fact, 150,000 of uh, school children went through these schools. Uh, as far as we can tell, most of them forcibly removed uh, from their families to come to this schools. And these schools were poorly run. They were chronically underfunded. The government simply just didn't care very much. The Canadian, Canadian government did not very care very much. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes the religious orders, um, the, I think it's the Oblates of Mary uh, that ran um, many of the schools in, the, uh, in, uh, in Canada, uh, often didn't care as well, unfortunately. And the government had exercised very little oversight uh, of these institutions. And so this led to abuse, physical abuse, sometimes sexual abuse on the parts uh, of uh, 
of those, some of these schools. Children were sometimes underfed. Uh, malnourishment was a common occurrence in these schools, uh, as was the overworking of children. Again, you had basically uh, people, children being taken into um, these schools to be educated in European civilization, weren't giving, weren't actually given much of an education, basically nothing beyond an elementary school education, and some oftentimes used as cheap labor uh, by the various schools. And this sort of neglect and uh, abuse led to deaths. There have been confirmed a little over 3,000 uh, children uh, that have died through uh, uh, in these schools. Uh, some of them, a lot of them, by the way, never notified um, uh, their parents uh, of their death. That's why this is causing such an outrage right now in these schools. There have been estimates that this number must be much higher. Um, the estimate I've heard, realistic one, is that it's probably closer to 6,000 kids died. That's why you're still finding uh, new graves, basically, in the 19th and uh, in, at this late date. And in fact, complaints had begun about the schools fairly early on. Uh, there was a, a doctor who went and uh, did a report in the early 20th century commenting on the malnutrition and some of the, the ill health of the students. Nothing was done about it. But by the 1940s, you had enough Indian families beginning to make complaints, and even the churches beginning to complain to a certain degree that in the 1960s, this began to change. There be greater scrutiny upon the church of these schools. And by the 1980s and 90s, they began to be phased out of existence. The last one closed in 1996. In the early 2000s, a spate of lawsuits began to be filed uh, against the Canadian government. This led to, in 2005, the Canadian government issuing a compensation package to abuse survivors, about $2 billion Canadian, $1.9 billion Canadian. Two years later, in 2007, both the federal government and the various churches involved in these schools signed the Residential School Settlement Agreement uh, to provide compensation to former students. <clears throat> and then finally, a Truth and Reconciliation Commission was set up in the year 2008, which eventually issued a, a multi-volume report in 2015 detailing the abuses, issuing calls for apologies, and so on and so forth. I'll come back to this. And there have been, we'll get to this in a moment, efforts by the church to make amends in Canada. I just want to take one uh, a minute here to, uh, to also emphasize the background of this, of why this occurred, because this is part of the, the controversy surrounding this. The, um, and you here see one of the memorials to, uh, to the cemetery, to some of the dead children in some of these places. The residential school system in Canada is not unique. It is actually common to a lot of what were called settler societies in the 19th century across the globe. Places like the Americas, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and settler societies are what they sound like. Um, they're, you know, colonial ventures by uh, imperialist uh, governments who, instead of just using their colonies to extract resources, like say the British did in Nigeria in the 19th and 20th centuries, they come to stay and to settle. And what happens is when they become independent, like you see the a picture from Independence Day in Canada in 1867, is that they engage in a process of state formation. 
And state formation in the 19th century means a, a very nationalistic conception of the nation state. One race, one language, one culture. And this is what happens again in all these societies, the similar thing in terms of, you know, taking kids forcibly uh, from their families, from native peoples, happens in Australia, happens in other places, putting them on reservations, those sorts of things to boarding schools. And part of the reason for this, and again, one of the issues is of course, a sense of cultural racial superiority, obviously to these people. Um, they are conquered peoples in their minds. They think, hey, these people have been conquered. We have the right to treat them as, as we please basically. But there's also this idea of nationalism and, and the state as needing to have one, you know, like I, said, like I said before, one nation, one language, one ethnicity, all this stuff, and one set of laws. And all of this is related to the great democratic revolution of the 19th century. These nation states are all supposed to be self-governed. They reject um, autocratic regimes. And what does that have to do with racial superiority? Well, you can have you know, multicultural polities. You had them, they're called monarchies or empires uh, or some sort of autocratic government. But these democratic revolutions, the French Revolution, the American Revolution, the various revolutions in the 19th century sought to set up self-government for, for peoples. And it's uh, notoriously very difficult, if not impossible, historically speaking, to combine multi-ethnic, multicultural societies and self-government. The reason being, of course, is because they're so different, they fight with each other all the time. So these governments in the 19th century, whether they were like the German Empire, founded in 1871, Prussia defeats France in the Franco-Prussian War, declares itself an empire, sort of gobbles up all the German, German states, gets them to come behind them. Or even, so you don't think of the, these terms, reconstruction following the US Civil War. Its primary goal was not to help African-Americans. Its primary goal was to reunite the country and in particular to recreate the South in the Im image of the, of the victorious North to make it into an industrial modern society. Didn't work because the Southerners of course had just fought a war. They had a demobilized army that could fight back unlike these poor native peoples who couldn't. Uh, but it's all part of the same uh, process of state formation across the globe. And even just going back to the the the, uh, the question of of destroying the Native Americans' customs and things of this nature, this sort of happened even within European populations, because part of the process of state formation in these countries, in Europe, for example, was creating nationalized systems of education. And the reason you did this was not just because you wanted to educate people for an industrial workforce; you also wanted to erase class and uh, geographic. Um, uh, differences. In France, for example, um, there was a book published years ago by a scholar named Eugene Weber called From Peasants into Frenchmen. And it's called that because it was about the, the creation of a national education system to turn poor rural Catholic peasants in France into modern Frenchmen who spoke Parisian French, not their local dialects, who had modern ideas and stuff like this. To make it one nation, to overcome regional differences to overcome the disunity they thought was a huge problem in a modern society. And so it's in the context of this, these settler societies impose this stuff on the native, native peoples coming from their, their um, 
their point of view. And of course, this is bound up with an, an other ideas in the 19th century, ideas of progress. There's a famous painting called American Progress. We have this sort of you know figure gliding across the plains as white settlers move west and they're pushing out the buffalo and they're pushing out Native Americans. That perfectly captures the thinking of 19th century peoples. These people are backward. They, um, they have archaic customs and beliefs. Their, their, their culture is gonna go away anyway. The economic forces, the technological forces that they've unleashed on them, they can't maintain these custom, customs anyway. They're obviously inferior. That's why we have the right to go try to assimilate them. They were, to use current terminology, these, these Native American peoples, on the wrong side of history. And therefore, people on the right side of history have a right to do with them what they please. Now, I mentioned before all this, what was the Catholic Church's response to this when this came to light? And I have to mention that in certain areas, they did bad things, these religious orders. Um, part of the reason we don't know as much about the deaths of these children is because they didn't keep great records. And in certain cases, withheld them uh, from the families. So there's some awful things in which those uh, uh, parts of the church in Canada were complicit with. However, in the 1990s, when these things began to come to light, you did have religious leaders in Canada try to make amends. Uh, from 1990s onwards, you had, again, the superior of the, again, it's the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, I'm pretty sure is the name of the religious order, issue apologies to Native American peoples. You had the Jesuit superior general at the time, Peter Kolenbach, uh, issue uh, an apology in the 1990s to Native peoples in America. Canadian bishops, several Canadian bishops in the 1990s expressed regret and sorrow for the things that the church had done there. And when Benedict the Benedict XVI uh, was visiting in 2009, he met privately with some of the tribal leaders in Canada, uh, gave them uh, issued statements of uh, regret and sorrow and effectively apology for some of the things that had gone on. And so, it is clear, and this is right and just, the church in Canada was responsible for some of these sorts of things. There's no doubt about that. However, one thing that I, everything I've just said about the settler society should make clear is, even though the church in Canada was complicit in this and needs to own up to that fact, the state was always the main driver of this process. The church had never, as far as I'm aware, tried to force Indians into their schools prior to the 19th century, prior to the creation of a Canadian state. And they went along with it for a variety of reasons. They shared the, the, the prejudices of other, uh, other Canadians, uh, European descent. So they did do this. And it is clear that, the, again, the Canadian bishops and those religious orders had something to, to apologize for. So even though, again, I can't stress this enough, it is the state that was the main actor in all of this. However, you've had people um, in the last several years calling for the Pope to apologize for this. The, that Truth and Reconciliation Commission that I, I mentioned earlier uh, called for the Pope, called for Pope Francis to apologize for this. The current Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, has called for Pope Francis to uh, apologize for this. Uh, 
Now I have to respond to this because I, I think this this really gets us into they're getting into murky territory here. The papacy was never involved in the creation of any of these schools. Um, the Canadian government did not, you know, contract with the papacy uh, to you know, run these schools. It contracted with the the Catholic Church in Canada. Yes, the Pope is the head of the Catholic Church. He's not the administrator of every single part of it. And I understand that he's, you know, a symbolic figure and that's important to people. But these calls for continuous apologies can kind of be, I think, problematic. And in particular, you have, and this is played out in other areas of history with the church vis-a-vis -vis Native peoples of the Americas and elsewhere, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission actually referred to what went on in the residential schools as cultural genocide. And there seems to be this, this sentiment on a lot of part of a lot of people that somehow the church as a whole is responsible for this residential school system. And in particular, Catholics today are still responsible in the same way that their ancestors were. And I think this is a very, I think it's a very dangerous thing, this notion of uh, cultural genocide. You know what that means, by the way? It just means wiping out someone else's culture without necessarily wiping them out biologically or physically speaking. Academics debate this stuff nonstop, you know, what's genocide and what's not. I understand why activists might want to use that word genocide. I, I do not think it's appropriate to call this genocide. I know that the government for a long time in Canada was very unresponsive. I know that the Catholic Church for a long time was unresponsive. And sometimes you have to, you know, you have to use inflammatory rhetoric to get their, to get them to do anything to make reparation for these obvious injustices. Nevertheless, by throwing out terms like cultural genocide, I think you encourage people to think in terms of collective guilt, which is a very dangerous thing to do. This is akin in some ways, you, the, the Catholic Church and the Christian Church as a whole has been guilty of this, right, in the past with Jews, with blaming all Jews throughout time and space for the death of Christ. There's a hint of this here. And in fact, there's a hint, more than a hint of, in terms of the Canadian government trying to, trying to call on the Pope to apologize. It's a good way to deflect from that primary responsibility which lies with the Canadian government. You know, most of, you know, great chief himbo of the progressive tribe in Canada, <laughs> Trudeau, most of his base is pretty progressive. They hate the Catholic Church anyway for other reasons because of its stance on sexuality and stuff like that. It's good politics to go at demanding the Pope Francis apologize deflects, I think, from the primary responsibility of the government. And so I understand why. I also think it's dangerous because in the last couple of weeks, you've had attacks on Catholic churches in Canada. Um, you've had some of them defaced, uh, some of them with messages which seem to refer to the, um, the dead bodies that have been recently found. You've also had in the last week, four Catholic churches burnt to the ground no, nothing linking them, them to this this whole issue yet. But they, they, all these churches were on native lands. They're, they have, you know, indigenous congregations. And in fact, some of the, I, you read through some of the reports, 
the native uh, leaders of uh, of the congregation seem to think that it is related to this. And again, why would you, if the Catholic Church was this nothing but this pure fount of evil, why would you even have indigenous people still being part of a church? That's because it's a much more mixed record than this sort of, I think, activist-driven view of this. And for anybody out there who's angered, they should be angry by hearing things like this, who's want to sort of attribute every evil thing that ever happened to the church, you need to think twice about it. And look, if you're a Catholic listening to this, some people are just going to hate the church no matter what. You can ignore them. Nothing you say is going to, you know, is going to change their minds. This is one of the problems I have, by the way, with entities like the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. They become organs for activism. Uh, rather than trying to get reconciliation, they just become incessant calls for more and more demands for more and more things. And so I, I, I really do question some of the reaction of this. This, having said all that, does not mean that the church in Canada was not responsible for some of this. It needs to take, needs to live up to it. Of course, the church has had a serious problem with this as a whole from the Pope on downward, admitting to the sexual abuse crisis and all those other sorts of things. It has a problem with secrecy and not opening up, you know, what it knows about things. And that's still a pro that's still that's still a crisis ongoing. So it's sort of connected to this, and yet we do need to keep some perspective in these sorts of things, and not willy-nilly blame people who aren't actually guilty of them. Uh, and so, in in Greece, yes, the church is in some ways complicit in this. Was not the main driver. Should should apologize and try to make reparations with it, which it has. It should not be used in what I think is an irresponsible way by academics and activists to um, to um, uh, to inflame people against the church this way. So that is our episode on the Canadian Indian Catholic schools. I hope you enjoyed it. If you liked it, please um, go to Anchor and subscribe to the podcast. Go to my YouTube channel, subscribe there. If you feel so inclined, you can... Uh, uh, support me by donating something uh, uh, on Anchor as well. And uh, go check it out. Go check out my channel both on YouTube and uh, Anchor. Uh, lots of other episodes, lots of controversial topics in the history of the Catholic Church. Take a look at that and be on the lookout for new material coming. Uh, next couple of days should be another episode of Catholic Lives. And in the near future, we'll resume uh, deeper dives into events in the history of the Catholic Church, making a few changes here. Instead of, you know, single long lectures dropping every month, you're going to have more content every week basically coming. We'll still do, do, do the same thing in terms of doing a deep dive through some of these topics, but as a series of episodes over a series of weeks rather than once a month. So things are changing for the better. So hope you enjoyed this. Uh, take care. And if you had any questions about this episode, please uh, leave a message. Uh, uh, you can use, leave a message on Anchor for me. I'll try to respond to you or on YouTube and uh, get back to you if you have any comments. So thank you very much for listening. Take care.